1: Very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again.
0: Eat him up. Enjoy. Okay, well, let's kick it off. Good. No, I can't say good morning. Uh, Some different summer reading. Okay, this is... We got (laughs) to rehearse these before we start, everybody. I don't know why I didn't. Okay. Very last time. We're going to just go with this, whatever comes out of my mouth. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in this week. It is summer, so we decided we're going to try something a little different this week. We're going to learn a book. Each of us has picked a book for summer reading. We're going to be discussing, sharing our thoughts, also having a broader discussion about summer reading and uh, what kind of things we love. Before we do that, we're going to talk about what we're feeling this week and talk about some exciting news in the world of Marvel casting. Before we do that, though, let's introduce ourselves, and as we introduce ourselves, let's answer the question, if you attended Hogwarts, which house would the Sorting Hat put you in? Sandra.
3: I'm Sandra Omstedt. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee, and I would say, actually, reluctantly, Gryffindor.
0: Is this just what you assume about yourself, or has this been confirmed by some, like, by something like Pottermore?
3: This is something that I assume about myself, but I also am like one of those really annoying people that believes that the system of sorting children into houses is like a strange and like weird system to put children through. So. I am reluctant to participate in the caste system of Hogwarts. <laughs> I am glad you
1: expressed that. Thank you. All right, Lucas, who are you? I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in the San Francisco Bay Area, and as someone who would love to put children in categories, I absolutely would end up in <laughs> Slytherin.
3: No, Slytherin's the best house. I'm going to I'm going to agree with you there, Lucas. Yes. Yeah. Okay, Lucas, have you been sorted on Pottermore? Yes. Definitely
2: a Slytherin. Uh, What about you, Lawson? Uh, I'm Lawson Soward, an art director at an ad agency in Nashville, Tennessee, and I uh, would be sorted into Ravenclaw. I haven't re-examined that since I finished the (laughs) final book.
0: And my name is Brent Bailey. I live in Chicago, and I write about faith and pop culture online, Uh, and according to Pottermore, I would be sorted into the noble house of Hufflepuff, so I am Hufflepuff and proud. All right, well, let's go ahead and dive into our first segment, one of our favorites. Uh, talk about what we're feeling this week. Every week we like to uh, talk about something we discovered or rediscovered this week that's got a lot of our attention. So, Lucas, let's start with you. What are you feeling this week?
1: Well, guys, this this week I'm feeling OJ Made in America, the uh, ESPN-ABC collaboration documentary slash TV show, whatever you want to call it. This is something that I feel like is uh, it's really new ground for for media, it's it. They it was released. It's basically a five part documentary mini series um, that was produced by ESPN Film for their Thirty for Thirty series, um, and it was it was released at Sundance as a seven and a half hour movie. Um, it also screened at Tribeca in April and premiered on ABC as a in a TV format, um, and basically is did five airings on ESPN as well, um, and basically it's been released on the ESPN app. Um, and through every other ESPN streaming service available, um, as a five-part miniseries. So I think it's really interesting that this is cr- created as a movie um, and kind of broken up into these parts. So it will be eligible for Oscars as well as Emmys this year, which will be interesting.
3: Oh, yeah. um,
1: but basically, but basically, it's the story of of OJ, which we've all heard and we've all heard i feel like a lot this year specifically um and i did, i wasn't exactly sure how affecting it would be i went through and i i did watch the the fx tv series um american crime story um which i which dove really really hard into the actual trial um and everything that went on there um and that that for me was really affecting and so i was curious as to how this documentary would kind of play out um and It kind of clarified two things for me. One, the FX series was amazing, and the casting was perfect (laughs) for all of these people. Um, And just how much else was going on. Um, It really gives a broad scope of O.J.'s kind of rise at the University of Southern California um, and his basically his sports career and his kind of mentality through that time, as well as what Los Angeles was like through that, through that time period as well. Um, and gives a ton of backstory there. It doesn't even get into really the murder or the trial until episode three of this five part um, series. So each episode is an hour and a half long. Um, and so it. It's something that is totally bingeable, but it is going to be your entire day. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. it is definitely worth it. I feel like it 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 works really well as just one big viewing experience. Um, But I totally understand that that's not usually feasible for most people for something this long. Um, So
3: have you guys? I'm I'm sure you guys have heard about this. Have any of you watched it? I've started it, Lucas. Um, Yeah, I started the first episode, and. I I you know I also watched American Crime Story and was so hooked, and mm-hmm. I want to know as much about this trial as I can now. Um, so I was really excited to start this. This first part was a little slow-moving for me. It was a little hard to get into, mostly because I'm not a sports person, and this beginning part has a lot to do about O.J. as a sportsman, and... Um, what that meant for him as like mm-hmm. a, a celebrity, and so so the, that part is a little um, uninteresting for me, even though I know it's um, like valuable to the story. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna I plan on keeping watching it. It's just a matter of I, I'm really excited to get to yes, the trial definitely. part.
0: I haven't watched this or any of the other OJ. Um... Like shows or documentaries, in my mind they all just kind of are blending together because the buzz tends to kind of overlap. Um, it, there was a tweet this week that like got a bunch of retweets and favorites. I can't remember who wrote it, but it was something along the lines of like Twilight Zone pitch: um, person in 1995 gets sick of O.J. Simpson trial coverage,
1: builds time machine that brings them to 2016. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny. What I thought was interesting was the ability to um, see these see this footage from the trial um, intercut with, you know, Marsha Clark and Mark Furman talking to, you know, this documentary filmmaker today and kind of how they, it's interesting seeing how they feel about kind of this whole thing now. And it's really, it's really kind of sad to watch, to watch. And so it is, it is a little bit of a slog going through seven and a half hours of, this super depressing case that is really, 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 I guess, painful to painful to watch and painful to experience. Um, there is some extremely graphic stuff in there with the they they show the crime photos and oh yeah crime and not like I I feel like they're they're famous crime photos and then there are like the up close like super graphic crime photos that I've never seen before and that. Basic and it, it was disgusting um but uh, yeah stuff stuff i've never i've never seen before on here that they're that they're showing and it's really really sad i do think one thing that it's missing um is more i guess more more of a perspective of i guess so not more of a perspective more of a voice for domestic violence mm-hmm. um in this it 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 definitely takes the stand of like he did it, it it's not super, (laughs) um, objective or anything like that. Um, and I think if you're gonna, if you're gonna do that, it needs to be more, be more predominantly about, um, the role of, of the role of the police and the role of, um, kind of women in domestic violence situations. And I I don't feel like there are enough women voices in the show. Um, I really would have loved to hear from his first wife, Um, and how that marriage ended and, or like at least somebody who, you know, knew her or something like that, but they kind of sideline her pretty quickly. Um, there are a few people that talk for Nicole. Um, but I, but I feel like for the most part, it's, it's a lot of men talking about Mm -hmm. (laughs) OJ Simpson. And so that like, it, it definitely takes a hard stand on like the police, you know, situation at that time and everything like that. Um, but I feel like this is a lot bigger than that and the domestic violence angle definitely would have been should have been included but it's a documentary so for me i feel i have a hard time like you know hey you should have done this when it's like well this is i mean you got you got who you got if somebody didn't want to be interviewed you can't like
3: sure i think that's a valid point though lucas especially when it's being put on by espn and like yeah domestic violence is an issue with professional athletes that like i think needs to be addressed and so yeah I think yeah this would have been a really opportune time to have that discussion
1: i think it's i think it's sad i think this is a big like 2016 is a big big oj year and so it should be a big domestic violence year for for a lot of that to come to light and i don't think it has as much as it should have um so that's oj made in america um a 30 for 30 documentary and uh it's streaming on espn anywhere you can get that
0: perfect thank you all right sandra what about you what are you feeling this week
3: This week, I'm feeling um, a TV show that has now, I think, been bumped up into one of my all-time favorite TV shows. Um, I discovered the TV show Please Like Me. It's an Australian TV show. Um, it It premiered in 2013 in Australia and then had kind of a delayed premiere in America. Right now, the first two seasons are on Hulu. Um, And there's a third season available um, that's not on Hulu, but that has aired. Um, I binged this series in four days, all three seasons, four days. The first season has six episodes and the second two seasons have 10 each. They're all half hour. Um, This show is just so delightful. It's funny It's honest, it's realistic, it's charming. Charming and lovely are the two words that I keep continuing to use to describe it. Um, It is about a, like, gay 20-something man and his relationships with his friends and family. So it's a very basic plot premise. You know, there's nothing, like, intriguing or unique about that plot when you kind of just talk about it to someone. But... The style of the show and the voice of this show is so unique for me. Um, they it is a comedy, but they deal a lot with just very real life issues. Um, and it's a very honest look at all of those real life issues. A big one that comes up continually is mental health and mental illness. Um, he has fa- the main character has family members that struggle with mental illness. Um, and he has friends that do as well. And so that's something that comes up quite a bit on the show. It is also just about being a 20-something and having to take care of your parents for the first time in your life. Um, being in that position where your parents need you and how odd that is and how and what that can do to your social life and just to your emotional life. Um It also, I think, really is cool how it explores how you kind of have to be an adult when you're around your parents and your family members, but you can kind of still be childlike when you're around your friends. That dynamic is really interesting, and I haven't seen a lot of other shows portray that very well. Another thing that I really appreciate appreciate about this show is its relationship to food. The main character (laughs) really loves to cook. And so there's almost every episode has a scene where he's preparing food or a beverage and it's a really shot very beautifully. Each show's episode title is either a food or beverage that is consumed in the show. Oh yeah. um, It's, it's a fun little thing to include. The show isn't about food. It's just, a fun visual thing that happens every episode that I I enjoy consuming. Um, the show is created and starred in by um, a famous Australian comedian called Josh Thomas. He's very young, but so smart and cutting and bright. and um, And like I said, honest, the biggest thing about this show is that these characters are constantly saying their true feelings to each other, their true thoughts and opinions. And that sounds like a stylistic choice. But I've listened to interviews and podcasts with this um, comedian, Josh Thomas, and the way he talks on this show is exactly the way he talks to people in real life. It is a a completely accurate representation. Um, He also starring on the show is his best friend, Tom Ward. It's Josh Thomas's childhood best friend who is playing his childhood best friend on the show, and he co-writes a lot of the episodes with Josh Thomas. Um, and so I've heard them talk and podcast together, and their banter and their dynamic on in real life is exactly that that you see on the show. And it's such a fun banter to watch. Um, yeah, overall, I am obsessed with this show I'm rewatching it already even though I just finished watching the whole series I'm trying to like get my friends to watch it and I'm preaching the good news about it so I'm trying to rewatch it with people um have any I should have asked have any of you ever seen this show at all
0: yeah I've only seen like the first three episodes and I have no excuse for why I haven't watched the whole thing because it yeah it's I mean delightful is just kind of the best word for this uh actually Lucas um can you hit us with a bit of the theme song
1: yeah Yeah, I'll be fine.
0: yeah so I feel like that just captures the tone of the show really well it's like I mean there are moments that are really intense and heavy but it just like moves along at a really brisk pace um like Sandra was saying just amazing chemistry between really the entire cast um so many just laugh out loud moments even from the first couple lines of dialogue I was just hooked and like laughing hysterically so like yeah like i said there's no excuse for why i haven't already streamed this entire series
3: yeah brent that opening song is really wonderful the opening song is one of my favorite moments of the show seeing what they're gonna do with it each week um they i have a i've followed a spotify playlist of all the music in this show that i've been listening to because it has really great music in it and um If you watch the show, I would also recommend looking up on YouTube. They have um, someone has made videos of just the scenes where the opening theme song is being played in each episode all pieced together. So you can just watch what the opening theme song is like in each episode straight through. And I would recommend doing that.
0: It's different. It's the same song, but different visuals in every episode. Right.
3: Right. And oftentimes the characters are like interacting with the theme song. Either they're singing along or they're dancing to it. Um, But it's always set in that time of the episode. So if they're staying at someone's house, it happens in that house. If it's if they're on a trip, it happens on that trip. You know, um, it's unique every time. Lucas, have you seen any of this?
1: I have not. I really want to. It's definitely something that I've 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 heard of it, but I haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet. But it sounds awesome.
3: Yeah. I like I said, I'm trying to get as many people to start watching it as I can, mostly because one thing that I love about this show is that I think it is incredibly rewatchable. There are TV shows that I will rewatch all the time. Bob's Burgers, Friends, Happy Endings. They're easy to just pull up an episode and start watching. Um, and I feel like this isn't a show where I can do that with. Um, but unlike those others, I think it has a little bit more emotional depth. Um, a lot of people make comparisons to it with girls. And I think that there's a, some signi- like. Relation there, but girls is not rewatchable for me. Girls is a lot more dark and they're exploring a lot like more unlikable characters. This, I just want to live in this world.
0: Sandra, if we want to watch it, where should we find this online?
3: You should find the first two seasons on Hulu. The third season, I don't know if you can find it online, but I believe it's airing on Pivot.
1: On a Pivot? Yes. Oh, great. (laughs)
3: And I will say it gets better with every single season, um, and so like you'll just you're gonna just enjoy it even more and more as you keep watching.
0: Andrew, that's a fantastic choice. I nominate it for a future episode. It's just yeah, it's just endlessly fun. I do worry that uh, future discussion would just be all of us reciting our favorite gags because there are just so many great gags. But yeah, absolutely, it's a, show with a lot of depth and a lot of humor. So yeah, thank you if you for you that ever, awesome choice
3: want to do a future episode about it we should do that
0: <laughs> i'm on board all right Lawson. what about you what are you feeling this week
2: all right well this week uh i'm really feeling a piece of pop culture from decades ago um it felt like kind of required watching but one of those things that you never really get around to um and this week we got around to it and really enjoyed seeing dr strangelove or how i learned to stop worrying and love the bomb have you guys Yay. seen this yes i have not
3: me One either. One of my favorite movies oh, of all time. I did see it, but it was in college for film class long ago, so I didn't really pay attention. <laughs> okay,
2: gotcha. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely, like, it makes sense as a film class uh, movie. It was so completely subversive for the time. Um, whenever I saw when it was made, I was like, oh, did they really do that? <laughs> like, this really wasn't in theaters right then. Um, it's just uh, it's burned, or, burned earth satire of... Um, the Cold War and the people in charge of the Cold War, um, the kind of players in that, and really just kind of um, traditional masculinity and its fragility and the role of that in wars in general. Um, A lot of uh, conversations going on, not explicitly, but within the way the film was put together, about uh, what power does and that um, powerful men... Uh, their inclinations throughout history whether they're you know in the USSR or in um, the Third Reich in Germany or in the United States like all these different um, people with you know great power and kind of really making fun of them and saying like they're really very basic humans um, and that these huge world decisions are being made for very banal base needs and and uh, ego assagements and all these kinds of things so the uh the grammar of the film the shots that they use are completely beautiful and breathtaking and um but it's not you know it's not a film that you watch for the cinematography like you can learn a lot from the cinematography but that's not what it's trying to do um Uh really the character the character portrayals um are what uh blew me away especially the way that they portrayed um the president of the united states and um this uh crew on a bomber that's carrying a nuclear warhead um in the height of the cold war uh it's uh the youngest i've ever seen james earl jones on screen and uh, he looks handsome as a fox uh but (laughs) he did a great job everyone all the actors in this movie do a great job uh peter sellers is the main uh he's the star and he's hilarious as always and it's really like, it's a dark comedy. And I didn't know that coming into it, that it was a dark comedy and it is really funny. And at the end, it's one of those movies where all I could think was, uh, well, end of sentence like this. Yep. (laughs) It was just, but it was, it's so well made. Um, watching it gave me, uh, you know, I could see the ripples that it's made throughout, uh, the film world ever since. Um, I know that it was just completely revolutionary and subversive for its time. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, rare to see a movie in black and white. The movie was out far past, um, the advent of, of color movies, but that was an intentional choice and it really put this kind of, uh, um, sinister, antiquated, uh, like, I don't know, even, even the fact that they're playing with so much of like, uh, things that people view as morality with such, uh, open handed in it or like just being so indelicate with those things. I was like, Oh, I kind of like that. We're seeing this in black and white and shades of gray. Um, so it was, it was really an enjoyable movie to watch. It's slow. Um, like a lot of movies back then are like a lot of Kubrick films, um, can be in parts, but it is, uh, the kind of movie that they hardly if ever make anymore. And it just has, um, informed, I feel so much more informed as, like, a a movie viewer now. And uh, it was an enjoyable experience, but it's also just, like, one of those things that's super influential. Like, the first time I saw Annie Hall, I was like, oh, so this is where every Manic Pixie Dream Girl came from, and that's why this other Manic Pixie Dream Girls aren't as uh, compelling as this one, because this one is, like, the archetype. Um, And so even though other stuff... Uh, comes after it and has been heavily influenced by it, and takes it new and original ways. This movie never would have thought. This movie has an immense influence on the way uh, film has gone, and I I highly recommend it. Um, it felt like a mix between uh, summer reading week. It felt like kind of a mix between watching a movie and reading a book because it was so such a rich text, and it's funny. Like it's just really funny. So highly recommend. Check it out. Cool.
1: How'd you watch it?
2: I watched it on. Uh, it is not available to stream anywhere, uh, and so we uh, got it through the iTunes Store. So you can rent it for three or four bucks there, whether you're doing it in standard or high def. But yeah, Lucas, you've seen it. Do you have any uh, anything about it that really stood out to you?
1: It's awesome. I think you, I think he covered it. <laughs> it's uh, no, it's 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 definitely one of one of my favorite movies for. For no reason at all I think it's I think it I think I saw it at a young enough age to where it was completely weird and surprising um, and I just kind of fell in love with it
2: yeah it's one of those films where I thought like if I had seen it young enough I might have thought that all the officers weren't being weird because they were in uniforms right. And I was yeah. like, okay, they're in uniforms. I guess that's how uniform people act. And I was, like, kind of glad that I had enough context to be like, oh, no, like, that that character, there's a character that's obsessed with this conspiracy theory about, you know, fluoride in the water and, like, pure bodily fluids. And it's, like, it's so, whenever you hear him talk about it, you're like, oh, that guy is bananas. <laughs> um, but, uh, which I'm sure is part of what made it such a huge thing back in the day to portray these people as totally crazy pants. But, it made for like a really funny bit, and if I hadn't known that that was weird, I would have been like, "Oh, maybe they're, maybe they're like telling yeah. me about something I don't know about." I'm seven. <laughs> I'm glad that you could pick up on the what was supposed to be weird and funny at a young age.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Lucas is <says in> advanced. <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> I mean, we all know this. We all know. Uh, well, that is obviously a uh, great
0: recommendation, Lost, and I think uh, the history of pop culture would agree with you on that recommendation. So, thank you for bringing it to our attention uh what i am feeling this week is a new documentary uh that just debuted on uh hbo after a series of runs in various uh film fest it's a documentary called suited uh have you all heard about this i know i think sandra's the one that told me about it
3: yeah i have but i haven't gotten a chance to watch it yet i'm waiting for a day when i'm emotionally available available
1: for it (laughs) yeah it's definitely looks like it'd be a cry fest
0: Duded tells the story of a um, like custom-tailoring uh, clothing shop called Bindle & Keep uh, in Brooklyn that, for whatever reason, has become kind of a major clothing provider for the LGBTQ community, uh, in particular, a lot of trans clients. Um, you know, we're this is a time when we're getting lots of different trans stories emerging in various kinds of pop culture, including documentaries, but also TV and film, um, and all of them are going to take a different approach, and all of them are going to have a different style, Uh, This documentary in particular, I think, is just incredibly approachable and um, very gentle. It's very slow. Like a lot of documentaries, it focuses... It places a high focus on stories. So even the fact that this is a custom-tailored shop uh, just really naturally lends itself to tracing the the stories of kind of five or six clients who come in, each for very different reasons. You've got one person who... um, is getting ready for his wedding and he wants a suit that, uh, is going to allow him to look great for that. You've got somebody who's just trying to kind of grow their wardrobe to be able to work in the law environment. You've got somebody who's getting a young person getting ready for their bar mitzvah. Um, so you have people coming at, um, at all, all these people coming at very kind of pivotal moments in their lives. Cause obviously if they're buying a suit, it's because they're buying it for something really important. So it's just, it's kind of like a, Oh, why didn't we think of this sooner? Um, approach to to telling trans stories. You know, I think so often, um, especially in the kind of the media and in the political sphere, um, conversations about trans people are really big conversations right now. You've got a lot of different bills being passed. Um, and I think that a lot of times those conversations can feel really threatening and maybe kind of in a sinister way. It's because some of those conversations have focused on things like public bathrooms and other things that um just for a lot of people i think even if even if we weren't talking about gender and gender identity talking about something like a public bathroom is just automatically going to give you kind of a negative visceral reaction um like i don't want to be thinking about target bathrooms ever because they just kind (laughs) of gross me out regardless of like who's using them um so i like that this i feel like this is just a very very non-threatening um kind of approach for people, maybe especially people who haven't thought about trans narratives or haven't thought about trans identities. This just feels like a very non-threatening entry point. Um, The entire focus is just people who want to look good and want to look confident. So it's kind of an aesthetically comfortable place for people to enter this conversation. And, you know, it's not even just about looking good. It's about, um, it really is about looking professional and looking polished. So I think as we as a culture are trying to determine what we believe about gender and gender identity, and, how we, and as we're determining how that's going to play out legally, um, ideally those conversations would be happening in as level-headed a way as possible. And I think this story um, really invites that kind of level-headed conversation. Um, which is not to say there's not a place for really emotional stories or stories that deal really specifically with things that might feel a little more threatening or uncomfortable for people, but um, this is just a story that's just so gentle and so sweet. Um, I probably my only criticism is that I really do wish they had given more attention to the actual logistics of the the tailoring shop and their process for how they make these suits that kind of cater to um, different body shapes and different body sizes. But um, that's really about the only criticism I have. I think that they do a great job of tracking stories. Um, it feels um, it feels honestly emotional enough without ever really feeling saccharine um and so yeah this is just it's an it's an amazing documentary uh it's streaming on HBO right now i'm sure there's other places you can see it, it looks like it's still playing lots of different festivals and having lots of just kind of one-off screenings uh but i would highly recommend checking that out especially cuz for a lot of places this is um this is pride weekend um or this is obviously pride month and so even though there are lots of gay and lesbian stories out there it can be sometimes um I think it's this is a good year and a good time to be focusing on trans stories, so I would highly recommend checking out Suited.
3: I- Can't wait, yeah. Yeah,
0: thanks everybody. Thanks for sharing what you're feeling. Uh, Let's go ahead and spend a little bit of time on some news. Sandra, why don't you uh, tell us what's happening in the world of Spider-Man 2, Too Many Spider-Man.
3: Well, (laughs) it's actually called Spider-Man Homecoming. Oh, Um, that's right, okay. Right, right, right. So there, in the past like week or two, we've gotten a ton of cast announcements for the new Spider-Man film, which I think after seeing Civil War, a lot of us are really excited about, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um I'm even more excited about it now that all these new cast announcements have come out because so many of them are these um really really talented either character actors or just actors that aren't very well known but that have really shined in the roles that they have been given. Um so uh, we all ha- are looking at like a list of who some of these actors are is there anyone that's been announced particularly that y'all are really excited about
1: yes every single person yeah
3: i mean they're (laughs) all great let's start with donald glover obviously donald glover is so exciting one because i think a lot of us are just general donald donald glover fans but also because there was the push for him to become spider-man which didn't work out but it is exciting to see him participate in a spider-man movie
2: Okay, but here's the thing also. In a recent interview, they were asking about, like, are we going to have a built-out Spider-Man universe, which is something that Sony wanted to do initially before they joined up with Marvel, and they were trying to set up, like, this big thing with all of these villains in the second uh, Amazing Spider-Man. And whenever that went away and they joined up with Marvel, I kind of assumed that that... That uh, plan. That plan was going away, but it's not. And so they may even be doing something with multiple universes with multiple spider-men and so like it's possible that donald glover could play spider-man like this is <laughs> so within tr- the realm of possibility
1: too many spider-men
2: <laughs> we could have too many <laughs> spider-men yes um which is something that happens in the comics a lot there's like all these alternate realities and worlds and like there's a spider-man here and there's a spider girl here and here they're all in the same place but um it's like feasible what will probably happen is he plays like the cool high school teacher. That is my
3: guess. Oh, that would be a great role. Oh, let's also, because almost all of these roles are mystery roles. We don't know who's playing what. Um, Mm -hmm. Let's talk about what we would love to see. If you have someone that you're in mind, you have in mind, what kind of role you would love to have them play. Okay,
2: Donald Glover as the ultimate Spider-Man.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah, it really—it's true. Like Tom Holland was great in Captain America, and he's a lot of fun. But as I'm looking through this cast list, especially with yeah Donald Glover, who might be a little too old for the role, but I'd still be totally on board. And then also uh, Abraham Atah—I think his la- his last name. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, I do find myself hoping, like as much as I love Tom Holland and wish him the best, I kind of hope this movie ends with like one of these other <laughs> one of these. Uh, supporting cast members taking on the Spider-Man
2: Okay, and They don't have to die. Costume. It can just be an alternate universe. And in that alternate universe, Spider-Man can be in his early 30s. So, Donald Glover. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Or,
3: but also speaking about other, like, young stars that there's on this cast, le- cast list, we have um, Tony Revol- Revol- Revalor- Okay, hold on. We have Tony Revolori.
1: Revolori. Pronounced pronounce Ravioli. <laughs>
3: no, that's not it.
1: Okay. Um, okay. So.
3: He, he is an actor that I am excited about, but I actually haven't seen in anything yet. But he's been in things that I have been meaning to see. He was in the Grand Budapest Hotel and Wait, Dope. you didn't
0: see Grand Budapest Hotel?
3: I know. It's on my oh, list. Oh, that was
0: my
2: favorite movie oh, that year. So good. Uh, yeah. He's very good in that. Yeah. So yeah.
3: I'm really excited that he's in this. And um, if there's ever like. I don't know, if they need to do a switcheroo in the movie, like, oh, who's Spider-Man? <laughs> and then it's like he takes off the mask, like, you got the wrong one! I mean, I don't know, I'm just saying. If he's, like, Spider-Man's best friend or something... A, revol- I would
2: be, a reversal. <laughs> yeah,
3: I would be really excited about that. We also have Zendaya in the movie, which I think is great.
1: Um, she's, like, a Disney star person, right?
3: Yeah, like yeah, that. she's yeah, yeah, primarily known for that. Um, she's also kind of part of this crew of these young... Um, like politically active um celebrities, these like young like teen 20 something girls that are like very feminist and very outspoken and i I'm appreciative of that. um who else do we have on here? We've got martin starr so we've,
1: we've got Martin Starr, who I'm a huge fan of from his work on Silicon Valley. Um, oh yeah, he's great He's hilarious Get absolutely oil. hilarious and i'm there's just so ma- there's so many funny people in this thing for one, which I'm really pumped about, which I think could be an absolutely hilarious movie but yeah i'm really excited to see what martin Starr can do alongside hannibal burris yeah
3: hannibal burris you know, Lawson, ever since you mentioned Donald Glover as a high school teacher, I just want all of them to be high school teachers. I want, to, I want Martin Starr, Hannibal yeah, versus them. Donald Glover sitting in a teacher's lounge together. Yeah. I
0: wouldn't even mind if Spider-Man kind of like faded into the background and this just became a comedy about what's it like to teach at a high school with other funny high school teachers and yeah. also one of the kids just happen to be a superhero.
3: Yeah. I, that's a movie I'd happily watch. Um, I could also oh, man. see... The most
2: Spider-Man they see is, like, in the news broadcast in the teacher's lounge. <laughs> right. They're like, you think this is one of <laughs> yeah. our students? And they're like, I don't care. Who cares what our students do outside of school?
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, I could also see Martin Starr. They uh, Sadly, I think they're going to cast him in a very stereotypical, like, scientist or computer guy yeah. role. Um, but Hannibal Buress, who knows what they're going to do with him? <laughs> He'll be a hot dog vendor. <laughs> I want him to be, like, maybe a love interest for Marissa Tomei.
1: Oh, that'd be cool. That No, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Although they kind of set it up some his... flirtation
0: between yeah, Tony Stark Tomei and Robert Downey Jr. And they, yeah. they, America,
3: sure, they? they sure did, and yep. I think that Robert Downey Jr. is going to be in this one. Um, yes. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I do hope to see that continue. I love their dynamic. Yeah.
2: But Hannibal Burris's pickle juice game is going to be way stronger than Robert Downey Jr.'s. Marissa Tomei... <laughs> gonna be completely taken by the pragmatism of his condiment
3: use yes okay so who else do we (laughs) have (laughs) <laughs> yeah, um, we're just
1: gonna ignore that, Lawson. Um, <laughs> everyone just completely I, ignore I, me. I do want to. I do want to talk about Kenneth Cho. Yes. Um, who's been cast in it in an, again in an unnamed role. He. This is the first time, at least that I've seen, that we've started recasting people who have already been in Marvel so. I know. See, um, that's
3: really interesting because Marvel, I think, has usually had a pretty strict rule about not doing that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I'm curious as to. I mean, kind of know what happened. He played the howling. He played one of the Howling Commandos. I don't even know if he had a line in he definitely the first Ca- he Captain
3: definitely America. had lines
1: <laughs> he, he
3: definitely had lines
1: did he have lines yeah okay I, well Chris <laughs> there, Evans was, was such a background thing in that movie um that I like if that was all he had done for Marvel I could see him reca- them recasting um, but he was also in he played the same character in an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well as Agent Carter right um oh I think I think he was in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. yeah yeah and he was in both of those. So the fact that he has, you know, repraised this role multiple times and is now coming in as a brand new character um, feels a little weird. Yeah. So i kind of hoping that, I don't know how they would do this, but he time-traveled from the 1940s. So, you <laughs> yeah, <know. laughs>
2: no, I think if he kept his same role, that would be killer. I,
3: I would. don't think that that's going to be what happens. It makes no sense at all for him to keep, keep
1: the same role.
3: But... Um I'm happy to have him in because I think he's great. But yeah. Oh yeah,
1: he's fantastic.
3: It's but yeah, it is weird. And that is one of the struggles of the Marvel universe is that they love to cast these amazing actors in these small roles and then or 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 as a villain and then you yeah. can't use them ever again, you know? Yep. Um it does create a, a little bit of a struggle.
1: Yeah. We'll see. What if they're
2: watching so like far, film and it, news slides from World War II, and he's in it, and he's like watching propaganda stuff, and that's what Tom Holland gets inspired It's to, his like,
1: great, 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 great grandfather. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. It's one of those situations. Yeah, like he's future kind of. A he thing. had
2: to be recast because they had <laughs> oh, to shoot new material.
3: He was Judge yeah. Ito in. Um, yeah, yes. in uh, American Crime Story. Right. Yes, I knew that there yeah. was another credit that I had seen him in. Um, yeah, yes. and he was great in that. I'm trying to think yeah. if there's any other big cast things. So, I mean, we haven't. So
1: obviously, Michael Keaton. I was just about to say uh, we haven't talked about mm, Michael
3: Keaton as the yes. as, as the villain. As
1: a different Birdman. As, as the villain Birdman, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, I, the rum, rumor is he's going to play Vulture, which is a uh, Marvel villain who is a bird. So that'll be fun to see.
2: <laughs> because Vulture is like a bird, and because in the comic books his power is like stealing youth from people like I'm weary as to how that'll translate
0: oh you to... mean like he is stealing their youth not like he's stealing youths
1: correct yeah he... <laughs> okay <laughs> he's not he's not a pie piper child snatcher yeah he's, he's
3: more like a magical witch that yes, sucks he's, the youth out of.
2: he's more like a magical witch he's uh
3: hocus pocus
2: in
1: this movie <laughs> what if he does just take children
2: <laughs> oh yeah I mean that would be more grounded <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> Yeah, so needless to say, I think we're really excited. They keep on, they're continually adding cast. I feel like every day there's like two more
1: announcements. So maybe we'll. And I think they've started shooting now. Oh, really? this is happening. Yeah, and they're still adding cast. So
3: so. maybe we'll revisit this if there is another name that we're really excited about. But otherwise, can't wait for it to come.
1: Yeah, I want to throw out,
2: I think Michael Keaton is incredible. And so if anyone's going to do great in that role, I think it's him. Sure thing. Don't want to be throwing shade. And
3: I will crush that
2: Spider-Man, and then that other Spider-Man, and all the
1: Spider-Man, till I'm the Spider-Man. Spider-Man, we're at it again.
3: This time with 50% more Spider-Man.
2: Break out from the Spider-Man clan. I want to be proud. I don't want to hide. Don't trap me in a cup and put me outside. With all those alright you All right, y'all. Well, let's uh,
0: unplug and turn the screens off and turn our attention to summer reading. Uh, we mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but at the start of June, the AV Club, a site that I think a lot of us frequent, uh, they posted a summer reading guide that it was a collection of... Uh, novels and memoirs and um, a pretty wide variety, some nonfiction um, that didn't really seem to fit any kind of specific like this year to this year or um, any specific ties, but it was just kind of some of their recommendations for great summer reads. And so we thought it would be a lot of fun for each of us to pick a book off that list that looked particularly interesting to us uh, and read it and come back and kind of give our own uh, reviews, give our own hot takes on those books. So before we get into the conversations on each of our books, which I'm sure we're all very anxious to do, I kind of just want to ask more broadly a question about summer reading. Uh, What qualities do you look for in a summer read? To you, what kind of books um, really stand out as the kind of books that you flock to when it's summertime? Uh, Let's start with you, Sandra. Uh, What kind of books do you love for the summer?
3: Well, the books that I love for the summer, very stereotypically, they're just the books that I love in real life all the time, which are romance novels. Um, It's my favorite kind of book. It's the thing, it's something that I can consume fast. I, lately in my adult life, or I should say as a, kid, I read a lot. My mom was a librarian. I was constantly reading books, Um, lots of novels. And now as an adult, I don't read novels very much anymore. I read a lot of memoirs. I read a lot of books about a topic, a self-help book, a book about a different, a particular subculture. Um, So I read a lot of nonfiction and novels are a lot harder for me to get into probably because I watch so many more movies and TV that that I do as an adult than I did as a kid. So I'm getting a lot of like my fictional storytelling from that medium. Um, Also, I like to read very fast. So if I can't just zoom through a book, I get a little annoyed and I have a hard time picking it back up. So romance novels are perfect for me for that because I can usually read the whole thing in one sitting And um, especially if it's one that I've read before and I can just zip right through it.
1: When you're talking about uh, romance novels, are you talking about like Nicholas Sparks type stuff or like like grocery store paperback
3: <laughs> well somewhere in between
1: those are the only two options
3: <laughs> That's it. so my favorite romance novelist um is jennifer Cruzy. if you like romance novels i think she's the best in the business you should go read literally every single one of her books um so her books they're sexy definitely there's definitely some great sex scenes in them um so they so they have a little bit of that grocery store, you know, see it on the shelf kind of thing. But they're they're comedies. They're not going to be not a
1: shirt on a horse.
3: It, it, there's definitely <laughs> none of that. <laughs> no horses in these books. Yeah. Um, they're all modern day set, and they're just like really lovely stories about two people meeting each other um, and having like great chemistry. They're but they're very, very funny. The reason I love Jennifer Cruzy in particular is because she's so funny, and a lot of romance novelists aren't that funny. So I don't like Nicholas Sparks very much. I did as a high schooler um, because you're really into angst when you're a high schooler. Mm. But um, I don't. Said I don't really like tear jerkers. I like um, lighthearted tales of people that sometimes have like a little bit of like tension between the two of them and then all of a sudden it becomes sexual tension so
0: sandra i'm similar the kind of books that i tend to look for for summer reading tend to have one of two qualities uh one of which would be readability like i do like books that i can move through really quickly um maybe in one sitting maybe in a couple sittings but yeah i want books that are going to be page turners that are going to keep me coming back um sometimes this means in my case reading books that feel a little dumber so like earlier this summer i read uh dan brown's inferno which, in some ways, feels kind of like a dumb book, but is also really readable, and it also has a lot of helps for the reader. So it catches you back up and it reminds you who characters are. It's kind of like the it's kind of like reality show literature, where like even after the commercial break, it's like here's everything that happened over the last thirty <laughs> minutes. And at the start of every episode, it's like here's every person again, just in case you forgot.
3: How funny! So I tend House
0: to like number books one, that, the
2: fixer upper. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I, I either like books that are readable or. Um, I also think summer is a great time for short stories. Um, You can just sit, you can read one, then you can move on and maybe pick it back up in a week or pick it back up in uh, a month. Or if you want to just sit there and kind of shotgun it and read all the short stories, that can be rewarding as well. So yeah, I tend to like books that um, are either going to completely suck me in and just grab me because I have time. I have a little more free time when it's the summer. Or I like books that are great for like, I'm on a train or I'm on a trip and I can only read this for 15 minutes and then maybe not revisit it for a week. Uh, but books that are going to accommodate that kind of flexibility in the reading. Yeah, I'm the exact Definitely. same
2: way. Like if it's a, a story that I can get into, I kind of I like the stories in summer or narratives that I read in summer to also be a little bit more chill Um, because I take in so much so many films and so much TV. Uh, reading already feels like a relaxing activity. And so I really I pretty much go to books whenever I'm in the mood to be very relaxed. Uh, relaxed and slow my pace so if it's if there are books that have uh, kind of slow uh plots with you know beautiful language or if it's um like the book that I read uh for off of this list was a memoir and that's perfect for me because it's all these um this series of essays um that you can read and get through uh as much as you can in the moment without feeling like you're left on a cliffhanger every time
1: I feel kind of the opposite I feel like During the summer, when everything is more calm, I want to be. I now have the time to like dive into kind of a bigger book, a deeper book, um, and kind of get more out of it. Where when I'm busy, you know, during the the rest of the year, I uh, I kind of want something a little a little easier to get through and a little quicker. Um, That being said, I do like my um, my book to match the season. So if it's winter and I'm reading a book, I want that book to take place in the winter and uh, summer summer so summer reading i i absolutely want um want some beaches some uh some hiking that kind of stuff so
0: you know okay well i think i'm gonna go first uh talking about my novel uh because i am very excited about it i finished it about a week ago my novel is Jennifer Egan's *A Visit from the Goon Squad*. This book came out in 2010. It won a few awards, including the Pulitzer in 2011. Uh, so you don't need me to tell you that it's a great book. Um, but it is indeed a really good book. I was hooked um, pretty early in, um, and this book just consistently delivers from start to finish. Um, it so the setup or kind of the yeah the setup of the novel is uh, really interesting. Uh, it strikes a really nice balance between the two things that I mentioned looking for in a summer read. On the one hand, it's instantly readable. It definitely doesn't feel dumb um, by any means, but it is very readable. Um, you can move through it fairly quickly. It is really engrossing, uh, but it also does kind of feel like a, a collection of short stories. Essentially, the, the, the story of the novel focuses on two different characters, uh, Benny and Sasha, uh, but it also kind of follows their friends and different people who are significant to them in their lives. So it's the kind of novel where the camera will follow one character into a scene and then follow another character out of the scene. Um, every chapter mostly highlights a different protagonist. It jumps across time. Um, it jumps to a few different locations. And so like chapter one might take place in Brooklyn in the right around the present. And then chapter two might jump back 15 years or it might jump ahead three years um, and focus on like this person's high school friend or this person's first wife. Um so, a few, so, yeah, you do kind of have your, your two main protagonists who kind of keep emerging in every story, but really it, it, it's almost more of a collection of short stories. Uh, this book has a lot of really great insights into human behavior and personality. A friend of mine um, is a writer who's published fiction and nonfiction, and she says it's often a lot easier to write truth when you're writing fiction um, because it's just so much easier and more natural to kind of talk about human behavior and to describe humans. And this book definitely feels that way, where there are times that a character will say something or a certain description about a character will just immediately feel so incisive and so true. And sometimes it's like very, it's almost kind of uncomfortable to read because you know how clearly she's seeing you. And sometimes it's uh, you realize like, oh, she's completely describing this particular friend in my life. Um, So it can feel really kind of rewarding, but also insightful to read that. I want to read one little, um, this is just one of many, many descriptions she offers that immediately struck me as like, oh man, I like, I never would have described somebody in that way, but I, I know exactly what she means. Um, this is page 27. She's talking about um, Benny, uh, who is an executive in the music industry, talking about his, I think sh- at that time, Sasha is his, something like his administrative assistant. And it says, um, Benny rarely thought of Sasha as an independent person. And beyond a vague awareness of boyfriends coming and going, vague first out of respect for her privacy, lately out of indifference, he knew few specifics of her life. So even just details like that, like, oh, here's this person in my life that I've known for decades, but I've never really thought about them as independent because I've always just kind of assumed they were with somebody or moving from one relationship into another. The book is just full of little kind of character moments and insights like that. Um, yeah, it's really emotional. Parts of it get really heavy. Parts of it are really funny. Uh, There's kind of an infamous chapter where the entire chapter is set up as a PowerPoint presentation created by like a 12 or 13 year old. And it's the character's reflections on like this last week and her family. Um, So, yeah, I would give this book absolutely two thumbs up, a really high recommendation. I think it's a great book to to spend time with this summer. In particular, if you're really into music, um, it's about folks who are kind of in and out of the music industry. Um, That's not a world I know a whole lot about, but I think that if you do know a lot about that world and specifically about kind of major shifts in the music industry, this novel would come to life even more for you.
3: I've heard so many good things about this book from people that I know. Um, And yeah, so and and I've. People that have said that they're excited that you were reading it because they are so fond of it. Yeah, it's yeah, just it's it feels like the kind of read. book
0: where, no matter who you are, like you're going to find somebody in this story to connect with. Even if it's not the protagonist in one of the chapters, you're going to find somebody. Um, and as I was reading it, one of the things that was really refreshing about it is it is kind of one of these great stories about second lives or third lives where occasionally you'll catch up with a character like 20 years in the future and their life will just be completely different from what you expected. Sometimes it's like things have in- improved for them incredibly, and it's really kind of encouraging. Um, other th- times things have gone really bad, and they're doing things they never saw them saw themselves doing. But I think, in particular, all of us who were kind of were a few years out of college, were still kind of, in my case, still figuring out career and vocation and other things. Um, it's just kind of refreshing to see stories where um, characters' lives don't necessarily follow like a a a straight line trajectory, but in which they have kind of moved between different relationships or friendships moved between different careers. Um, and you, and checking in with them at different decades of their life allows you to see like how dramatically life can change over a certain amount of time. Awesome. Cool.
1: Yeah. So the book, I, the book I read was, uh, the historian by Elizabeth Kostova. Um, and guys, I did not know what I was getting into when I picked this book. I kind of randomly picked it off the list. Uh, but this book is 642 pages. This oh, goodness. Is, uh, Whoa. Quite, quite a book. But, uh, it was, it was, it was good. It was definitely not something I expected. Um, but I, I got the audiobook. book. Um, so it was something I could listen to at work. Um, and it's read by, uh, by two different actors. Um, who I, I always love it when they do that and have, when you have multiple, multiple actors and actresses, um kind of reading the different characters. Right. Uh, but they did such a good job of all the accents. There's like, there's, um, you know, American, Dutch, French, German, you know, uh, Eastern European, lots of Eastern European accents that they do. And it's, it was, they did an incredible job. Oh, wow. Um, but but basically this, this book is a, is a vampire book. It's a story of a girl and her father and her father's mentors um, journey looking for Dracula. So it's really split up into three different periods. Um, it's It kind of chronicles the father's journey um, in the 1950s, and that's kind of intercut with um, his mentors, like letters from his mentor um, who was searching for Dracula in the 30s. Um, and kind of all of this is being told to this guy's daughter in the 70s um, and, and kind of all three of their searches for Dracula. Um, Dracula, <laughs> um, but ba- I mean, ba- basically, it's it's a it's really well done, and um, Kosova does a really good job of kind of cutting up these stories and making them really, really fluid in what the daughter is hearing from her father and what the father is reading from his mentor, and it it could get it could get really convoluted really quickly, um, but she does a really great job of making sure it's really clear and it's just effortless storytelling. Um, I feel like one thing she doesn't do well is having a different voice for each of these characters. I feel like it, it it helps having somebody, you know, narrate it, but the writing style is exactly the same. Like Mm. an an old man, you know, having a conversation in the thirties sounds exactly like the girl having a conversation in the, in the seventies. So, um, I think this is her first novel. So I definitely think that this is something that she'll get better and better at over time. But I think she does a really good job of kind of laying out this story. Um, Dracula isn't something I'm necessarily interested in, and, but uh, it, it was really neat to see um, kind of that exploration of Eastern Europe, which is definitely something I don't know a lot about, um, but I loved kind of diving into that history, and I don't know, I, it's, it's made me want to research it a lot more because a lot of, I mean, I think she does a really good job and she's really historically accurate in a lot of her stuff, um, so I'm excited to kind of read more about that time period. So, I definitely don't think it's a summer book. I think it's an October book.
3: Oh, so yeah. If you read about
1: Dracula, mm. read it in October. Is that because it takes place in October? It does not take place in October. It takes place all over time
3: and space. <laughs> not yeah.
0: Lucas. Not really. This is a book but... to read in the 1930s. Right.
3: <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: Lucas, how, vampire movies, books, genre as a genre in general, how do you feel about them?
1: Don't interest me at all.
3: So, reading this book, did it were you like nervous about it being a vampire story or did you end up liking it? No, like even though it was not a genre you might not have normally read.
1: Yeah. So I, I, I didn't read anything about it. I just kind of opened it and started going. Um, and it, it, I mean, audio book wise, it takes like about an hour until you realize, Oh my gosh, this is all going to be about Dracula. <laughs> um, and, and I was like, Oh great. This is going to be so much fun. But it really is more about the, um, The history of like Vlad the Impaler, who's the guy that Dracula is based off of and kind of Bram Stoker's book Dracula um, kind of plays plays a part in here as well. And so it's a lot more about like the history and the myth of Dracula, even though spoiler alert, Dracula is actually in this book. Um, It's not it's not actually a spoiler, Um, (laughs) but it's it's uh, it's it's not something that I ever thought that I would like but it's, it was fun. It was definitely, it was definitely a fun book. It is not something that I would, I think normally go towards. Um, but for what it was, it was pretty good.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, uh, I know this isn't a book, but flight of the concords did a movie called what we do in the shadows, which is all based on vampire stuff. And that's
1: my favorite vampire thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You and I watched that together, like next seats next to each other on a plane one time. And that was one of the most have ever laughed out loud while watching a movie yes. and I would never have been like I'm gonna go see that because of the vampire element so no yeah yeah, it's not it's a hindrance to telling a great story or doing stuff really well absolutely
3: so the book that I had chosen from the AV summer club reading list um, is called the object of my affection by Stephen McCauley um, I have two confessions to make about this book Number one is that I didn't finish it in time for reading this podcast. It wouldn't be a book club
0: if you had.
3: I know, right? Um, it It's not because it's bad.
0: That was a joke about book clubs, not a joke about Sandra. No,
3: no, 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 no. of course. <laughs> I can usually finish books. Um, um, not because it's like a, a bad book or because I wasn't into it, just because I like to read books all in one sitting when it's possible, and I haven't had you know, five or six hours to just sit and consume this book all at once, um, which is my preferred way of reading books. And so I've, I've read part, like I've gotten into it, but just haven't gotten to sit down and finish the whole thing. Um, the other confession that I have is that the title is the object of my affection, but I've been telling people I've been reading a different book accidentally <laughs> um, <laughs> Stephen mccauley has another book called insignificant others that i keep telling people i'm reading that one because it seems like such a fitting title for the book that i am actually reading um interesting and, and so like whenever i was like what are you reading i'm like oh it's in insignificant others and that's not the title of this book i've been getting it wrong this whole time <laughs> um i may have even said the wrong title on a previous podcast episode i'm not sure um, but the actual title is The Object of My Affection. Um, it was written and published in the 1980s. And it's about these um, late, 20-something, um, late 20-somethings who live together and are best friends. Our narrator and protagonist is George, who's a gay man. And then his best friend who lives with him is Nina, who is a straight woman. Um, and the book is just about... Their relationship and, relationship and their romantic relationships that um, come and go as part of their lives. Um, at the very beginning of the book, Nina finds out that she is pregnant. And so the book is about how their relationship dynamic evolves because of that pregnancy. Um, I'm really, really liking it. The reason I picked it out from the list that we had was because I find the dynamic between the close relationship between gay men and straight women to be really, really interesting. I think there is a very unique thing that happens in those relationships where it is this deep friendship, but there's also an air of romance about it that I think can sometimes wantedly or sometimes unwantedly fill that dynamic. Um, they're, you know, in this book, these characters, they take dance lessons together. They live together. They, um, the, the Nina character really wants George to help her raise this child because she's not interested in the father being involved. Um, and so it's just kind of about how those characters are, not romantic partners, but sometimes fall into the traps of being romantic partners with each other and what that means for their f- for their friendship.
0: That is just another reason why I now understand why you love Please Like Me so much, is that <laughs> the protagonist's relationship with his ex-girlfriend is a pretty central relationship.
3: Yeah, that definitely is one part of it. Have you um, seen the film? Yeah, no, I haven't seen the film. There's a... Uh, it was made in the 90s with Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston. I watched the trailer for it before I started reading the book, which I shouldn't have done because now I just keep picturing Paul Rudd and Jennifer Aniston as these characters, um, which I don't <laughs> think is an accurate picture of them. Um, but I do kind of want to watch it. I don't think the movie is v- is very good from what I can tell. Um, but when has that ever stopped me from watching a rom-com? <laughs> yeah.
1: I, I have only seen the movie and I uh, it's interesting it's not it's definitely not good <laughs> yeah but I definitely won't I won't judge the book on that no
3: you definitely <laughs> shouldn't the book is very good and I am liking it I just haven't finished it um, it has a great sense of humor about it um, it characterizes people really well um, I am really interested in these like what uh, oh another thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that it was written in the 80s it's really interesting because i don't often read books that aren't set in modern day and the 80s isn't that far off but it's always it's constantly surprising me the ways in which it doesn't feel dated and then the ways in which it does um but mostly the ways in which it doesn't feel dated i was very curious about what it was going to be like to read a book about a gay protagonist set in the 1980s. And there really isn't much of a difference from the stories that I'm consuming that are set today. Um, It's about him dating. It's about him and his friendships. There's not a lot of drama to his sexuality. Um, His family, you know, kind of gruffled at it at first and then are very aware of it afterwards. It's not like a big secret that he's, that he's holding from anyone. Um, So that was very refreshing and and unexpected for me. That's cool. All
2: right, Lawson, what'd you read? (laughs) All right. um, I read When You Are Engulfed in Flames by David Sedaris. Um, Have you guys ever read any David Sedaris before?
3: I've read some, like articles that he's written but never a full book
2: okay
0: but i
3: love him i I listened to this book
0: there was one summer i was doing a bunch of driving and so i wanted audiobooks and i had heard sedaris on a few episodes of this american life and knew he made for great listening so i did take this in
2: uh in his own voice the way that brent did it is really the way to do it um i read this myself um but i have purchased this book on audiobook Before, but it was on tape or C D or something, because when I went to look for it and to like reread it for this, I could not find it anywhere, which was very frustrating, but it was good to be able to like read with his intonation in the back of my head. Um this is his uh his sixth book of essays. It was from released in two thousand and eight. Um and it has just covers so many different things. I mean that's part of the way he writes as he writes these these memoirs, these collections of essays, so it's not like uh, one story going all the way from the start to the finish. Um, something that, you know, if you have to read it for a snippet at a time and then set it down on the train, you're going to be fine. It's, it makes for great summer reading because, like, wherever you can fit it in, you can get um, some really entertaining uh, and rich reading done in the amount of time you have, no matter how big or small that amount of time is. Um, some subjects in this particular book include a parasitic worm that once lived in David Sedaris' mother-in-law's leg, uh, an encounter with a dingo, the recreational use of an external catheter, and (laughs) um, uh, buying a human skeleton, uh, and trying to quit smoking, which is an endeavor that takes him to Tokyo at some point. So uh, it's just like... (sighs) it's so fun and it's so funny and there's a word that i've heard on a lot of npr podcasts that i listen to that just sounds so sophisticated and smart and i've never had a a use for it until right now so i'm gonna use it uh to describe this this book is so sardonic guys Sardonic, endlessly sardonic meaning mock grimly mocking or cynical (laughs) like he's so funny and so sarcastic um Brent, you referenced This American Life. Uh, I listened to This American Life one time where Ira Glass uh, was talking to him and he's like, You seem so kind. Like, you write the way you write about yourself, you make yourself seem really mean, but like you're not. And David Sedaris' reply was, Oh no, I'm just two faced.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: like, so self aware, so uh, biting in his writing. Um, <clears throat> but like, I, I mean, people who write memoirs need to have a real perspective and he does like he's in all of his writing um i've read several of his books um in all of his writing he's like talking about traveling the world and you know his family and uh and his partner and their like time together and their conflicts and the way that their dynamics work out i mean he's this guy's not famous for being an entertainer and then writing about his career in entertaining He's famous because he's so good at writing about his life. Like, he's such a well-written person, is so good at remembering anecdotes, or, I mean, for all I know, exaggerating anecdotes um, to make them work correctly. But the kind of quirks and turns that these stories take make it seem, like, you know, too weird to be made up. you can't make this stuff up type uh, (laughs) situation. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it's just, it's really good. I mean, a lot of the memoirs that I've read... Um, Other than Sedaris' stuff is by, like, uh, some, like, great female comedians. And those are amazing books, and I really love them, especially uh, in that style of, like, hearing them read by their author. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know that whenever you're uh, reading someone whose entire claim to fame is for memoir and essay writing, that you're in, like, you're in for a treat. That's a a whole Mm -hmm. different thing. Um, So I, I highly recommend this book. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, as I said, it's my my second time through reading it, and I was so glad to see it on the summer reading list as uh, an occasion to pick it back up again. Um, I just wanted to pull a few select quotes um, because it's really like you can't talk about... Like when I mentioned those things that this book covers, like that's some of the weird stuff that it talks about, but it's hard to sell a memoir based on like its contents. So you really have to kind of be into uh, the voice of the person writing it. So I highly recommend... Uh, doing a quick Google search for "This American Life" and uh, David Sedaris, uh, and you'll get some of the episodes where he appears and be able to hear him talk. And I just I think not only his writing style but his delivery is just on point. It's it's incredible. Um, but I wanted to throw a couple of uh, quotes from the book uh, into the mix. Give us something, Sardonic Lawson. <laughs> Uh, zoo is a good place to make a spectacle of yourself as the people around you have creepier and more photogenic things to look at. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, and then this was like kind of stuck with me and not like a really funny. I mean, it is funny, but I was just like, oh, man, that's it, it speaks to me so clearly. Uh, sometimes the sins you haven't committed are all you have left to hold on to.
3: Oh, that's great. Isn't that oh, boy. so
2: good? Um so, and then this one is uh, uh, from earlier in the book, whenever he's talking about some of his, because uh, he talks about his childhood, some of this. Um, and he said, like any normal fifth grader, I preferred my villains to be evil and to stay that way, to act like Dracula rather than Frankenstein's monster, who ruined everything by handing that peasant girl a flower. He sort of made up for it by drowning her a few minutes later, but you still couldn't look at him the same way again.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> like, he's just so... Um, eg- exactly content with his uh, perspective on everything and knows that it's flawed but speaks to it perfectly and eloquently and it makes um, every single chapter of this book a great read I think it's a great audiobook and a a great summer flip
0: yeah and I will heartily recommend that book as well and it's one of the few books where I will say I think listening to the audiobook just vastly improves your experience of it. I mean, Sedaris on the page is great, but Sedaris reading it is just... I think he's just about one of the best kind of storytellers and memoirists in terms of reading his stories. So if there's any way you can... Download or stream the audiobook, go for that.
2: So yeah, this is something that as I said I looked for uh, the audio, I've listened to the audiobook before and really enjoyed it. I couldn't find where I put it this time around and didn't want to respend the fifteen dollars, but if you go out and uh, drop the cash on it, I agree, Brent. It's it does not disappoint.
0: I think somehow I read it a few years ago, I was able to get the audiobook from my library, so that is a great option that a lot of oh, people forget yeah. about as well.
1: Yeah, Lawson. Did you check the library? I didn't
2: check the perfect,
1: amazing institution of the library. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Ben Jeez. Franklin. Uh, so, Lawson, I do, I do want to be clear. We, we, we came up with this whole list of books to read, and you picked the one book on the list that you've already read. What, what,
2: yo, I'm such <laughs> a slow reader. <laughs> but at least it was one I could give a big thumbs up to as well.
3: Well, it's one.
2: Okay, here's the thing. I'm if you're such...
3: gonna reread a book, David Sedaris. Is
2: it has been it came out in 2008 it's been like over five years since i read this book and it's all memoir did you like, even it's, reread it's it it's short stories <laughs> it's short stories so i didn't remember a lot of it like it all it all read incredibly fresh um and yeah and i'm just i'm a slow reader and so i was it's okay. like it's if, okay if it's
1: something don't, where... don't defend yourself lawson i just like making fun of you
3: <laughs> just My stance, take it My stances are defensible and
2: everyone needs to know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think that's our show. Uh, Hopefully today you found a great recommendation for a book or a TV show or a movie. We gave you lots of uh, great tips. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. Uh, As always, we love to interact with you. We'd love to hear from you here, how we're doing. Uh, So follow us on Twitter at feelingitpod. Uh, we also uh, love reviews on iTunes. You can download us at iTunes and please, please leave us a review if you have positive or negative thoughts about us. Uh, before we go, we want to let you know where to find each of us individually online. Sandra, where can we find you?
3: You can find me on all social platforms at Sandra Omstutz. My last name is spelled A M S T U T Z. Go follow me on Snapchat.
2: <laughs> Snapchat. What about you, Lawson? Yes, I'm on all social media at Lawson West. L a w s o n w e s t.
1: And I'm Lucas Wright. Um, you can follow me at Lucas and Stuff. I'll be tweeting that Lenny Kravitz should play the next O.J. Simpson.
2: <laughs> Too <laughs> accurate.
1: And I'm Brent Bailey.
0: You can find me most platforms except Snapchat at b r p a b a. All right. Thank you so much. Tune in next week. Bye. Bye. Adios. Bye.
1: Thank you. Bye. now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it? Go home?
2: Yep. Move along,
3: Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people.